0: We're going to be in John eight thirty one this morning, and we're going to be talking about freedom, and freedom that Jesus provides. But from a recap from last week, is Jesus was talking about being lifted up on the cross on the path for not dying in one's sins. Jesus does this, and no pun intended, in the light of his claims about being the light of the world. We talked about the function of light. So, what is the function of light? Light illuminates. It shines. It shows us where the issues are. Light is necessary if we want to see where our true problems are. Example, an example that hits really close to home. If you see water on your floor by your sink, the source isn't just the water on the floor, right? There's a deeper issue there. It's not necessarily the water, but it's where the water is coming from. So you don't really know where the issue is just because you see water on the floor. You need to get a flashlight, you need to get underneath the sink, you need to find the source of the problem. When you peel back layers of stuff underneath the sink, you can find the source of the leak. And this is similar to what happens to us as Christians. Remember the will of God for your life, and I repeat this over and over again, is that you would be made more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. That should be our goal. Jesus' illuminating light, that we should be more and more like him. The light of Christ will shine on where the leaks of our lives are at. And our main source of leaks are sin, right? That is the problem. The problem isn't just the fruit that comes out. It's the fact that we sin. The main source of our leaks are sin. So we can use a towel and mop up all the water, but if we aren't dealing with the main issue underneath the sink, we're just trying to clean up a mess. If We just try to clean up a mess, we're not solving the problem. So Jesus coming in flesh and illumination shows us how to love God and love people better. It also shows us that we are incapable of loving God and loving people perfectly. And this is the summary of the entire law of God to love God and love people. That is the law. So last week, we saw that you either trust in Jesus for dying for your sins or you die in your sins. Those are the options. You either trust Jesus for dying dying for your sins or you die in your sins. But because God is holy and just, he brings justice and judgment onto sin. That's the reality. But because God is merciful, he also provides a way through himself. He does. He provides a way through himself. And at the sermon end last week, verse 30, the last verse of last week's text was, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. What was he saying? He was saying that you will die in sin. You will die in sin. I will be lifted up. And you will see that's how I get life. So people saw that. They didn't want to die in their sin. So they believed in Jesus what he was saying. But this is where Jesus pivots into a discussion on freedom, how to get freedom and where freedom is truly found. These people say they believed in Jesus words, so he makes sure he qualifies what is being said. So we are going to jump into the text. Like I said, we're on 8:31 through 38. The truth will set you free. And this is the word of God. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham and you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen from my father and you do not uh, and you do what you heard from your father. The point of today's sermon is we have three of them, and if you open up your bulletin, you'll see the points, but it's freedom is found in the sun, sin is slavery, and the sun sets slaves free. I'm going to jump right in that freedom is found in the sun. Verse 31 says, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in me and in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do you know if you're a disciple of Jesus? How do you know if you're a true disciple of Jesus? What does a true disciple mean? The word true there means real or in reality or with most certainty. So how do you know if you're a real disciple or an unreal disciple? We know this, right? There are inauthentic and authentic relationships. There are fruit bearing disciples and there are fake disciples. Do you want to know if you know if you're a true disciple? What does Jesus say? He lays it out so simple Do you abide in his word? That's the reality, that's the litmus test. Do you abide in his word? you take the word at face value? Do you believe it with your mind, body, and soul? If you abide in the words of Jesus, you will have the truth. And if you have the truth, you will have freedom. The path to true freedom is truth. If you do not have truth, you have lies, and lies provide no stability. If you have lies, you will have disorder, you will have confusion. But truth. If you have truth, you can have hope. You can have Jesus. He is the one who gives life. Jesus is the source of truth. We know this. I I started the beginning talking about this, that life is full of uncertainties. Life is full of challenges. Life is full of difficulties. But Jesus is saying that if you listen and have faith and truly believe what I have said, you will have life. Do we truly believe this statement? I'm not talking about wealth and health here. I'm talking about life. Do we have life? Not what the world said life is. But do we have life as the Bible lays out? Words like Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am in the Father. I am the resurrection and life then you will take all his words together and you will get one great focus. That is Jesus himself. Jesus is making a claim that he is our substance, that he is our illumination, that he is the good shepherd, that he will feed us and take care of us, that he is the source of life. And all of these things that are written about Jesus, everything that is written down in the Gospel of John and the Bible as a whole, they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That is the purpose of John. So knowing his words lets you know the man behind the words. Knowing this book lets you know who Jesus is. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life that you know the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The life of a disciple is a life of one who knows God. Not just knows facts about him. Not just one who knows about God. But truly spends time being scripturally saturated, a prayerful person, one who spends time with God. Truly knowing God and trusting in his word and believing in him is the source of true freedom. And some of you might even think, I I just hear a lot of the same arguments over and over again, which is fine. But I've heard this said, so I want to address it here, that yes, Josh, of course the relationship thing is in the New Testament, right? So this is... You know, God is angry in the Old Testament, and in the new one, he's more gracious and loving. But once again, the Bible is one unified story, starting in uh, Genesis, ending in Revelation. We also see in the Old Testament this type of relationship that the God of the Bible wants to have with his people. God always wanted to be understood and known. We see this in Jeremiah 9.23. He says, thus says the Lord... And pay attention to this. I'm going to, I'm going to say it a little bit slow. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his wisdom, or riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and justice. And righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight," declares the Lord. I want to step back and have us really think about this and meditate this section of text for a moment. And if you could write it down, if you are one who takes notes, think about this this week. Jeremiah nine twenty three. Jeremiah nine twenty three. Jeremiah nine twenty three. God is telling man to not boast in the accomplishments. Boast in the fact that you know and are known by God. That's our source of hope, that we can truly know the God of the Bible. Boast not in your accomplishments or anything else, but that you know Him who knows all. You can know the one who knows all. Boast not in your accomplishments. Boast not in your riches. Do not boast on the stuff that you have or the people that you know. And it's fascinating because once you know him, you have the fulfillment of, like, the desires that we want anyways in our flesh, right? And you might think, like, Josh, what are you talking about? The Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Those three things, those stuck out to me this week. The one who practices love, justice, and righteousness These are a lot of people's root motivations for doing things in general. How many people feel unloved, unwelcome? They live a life where they're trying to get in the flesh just acceptance from other people. And then these other people don't even know how to love. They are sinners who are hurt. And hurt people hurt people. Even if it's unintentional. But it says that our Lord practices steadfast love. What about justice? How many talks have we had talking about reform, whether it's racial, political, uh, policy, police, voting, healthcare? We want justice everywhere. That's why God punishes sin at the cross. We crave justice, but we need to understand what the true standard of justice is. Same with righteousness. The definition of righteousness is the quality of being morally right or justifiable. And our goal shouldn't be to be right, but to be righteous. And to be truly righteous would have us be right. So John, writing down all this shows that genuine faith perseveres and holds fast to the words of Jesus. Do you want to be a true disciple, do you hold fast to the words of Jesus? Because you can't be a follower of Jesus if you don't know where he went and what he did. You need to abide in his Word. That if you are a disciple of Jesus, you will abide in his word. That that is the source of freedom because of our longings truly point to him. We can have their perfect fulfillment in him. True love and justice and righteousness is found in knowing the Lord. And this is freedom. So Jesus is saying it's not just about you saying that I'm a follower with your lips only. We can't just say it with our lips. We can't just say that we are Christian. We can't just say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But do you truly abide in, trust in, and hope in the words of Jesus? One of the most terrifying passages is when Jesus, on the last day, is talking about it, and they're, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. If we get one thing today, I hope that you understand that God wants to be known and we can know him. That is a beautiful truth. That is a beautiful thing. That is an amazing thing. And it's far better than anything else this world has to offer. That if you're truly a follower of Jesus, you will be in his word. You will read his word. You will live out his word because that is the source of true freedom. Jesus' words will set us free, both from the guilt and the life controlling power of sin. problem comes in when we don't think we're enslaved. The issues that we have is that we don't think that we struggle. But sin is slavery. Verse 33 says, They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and you have never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This is a challenge. This hurts their pride. Jesus' listeners are the Jewish people who were the offspring of Abraham. They have pride in the fact that they are the Jewish people, God's special people, a group of people that the God of the universe has plucked out and revealed himself to. And Jesus stops them and lets them know that even their appearing freedom, they themselves are enslaved. In fact, everyone is enslaved. This is where Jesus drops the bomb that if you sin, or if you practice sin, then you are a slave to sin. One white lie, one lustful thought, slaves to sin. Jesus clarifies their nature of their bondage. The bondage is sin, which only Jesus Christ is qualified to break. Through his word, And being in his light shows us truth. We do not become sinners because we commit sins. We commit sins because we are sinners. This again, why it is said in John 3, you must be born again. This is made clear in our catechism today. I'm going to read this again because I love the Lord and his sovereignty because he put this question here with this text here. Did God create us to unable to keep his law? No. But because the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all creation has fallen. We are born into sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature, and unable to keep the law of God. Unable to keep the law of God. Unable to keep the law of God. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin has came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all of sin." Right? Slaves to sin serve their master to death. But life is found and abiding in the word of Jesus. We have fallen, our sin oriented hearts. This is the bigger problem, and this is why the good news is such good news. Because the God of the Bible takes dead people and makes them living. If you want to remember the mindset of the Jewish people, they wanted a political leader. They wanted a messiah that would save them from the Roman oppressors. They wanted a good old president. Jesus doesn't think that the Romans are the biggest problem. A purely political savior leaves the root problem unaddressed. Like mopping up the wet floor instead of fixing the uh, the, the leak under the sink. This is like throwing a coat of paint over mold. You can't just cover it up, right? You have to deal with the issue behind the drywall. You have to get to the heart of the issue. You have to take this stuff down to the studs, find the source of the problem, and the source of the problem is sin. Sin is a root issue, but our Savior is the pruning shears. Sin is a root issue, but the Savior is the pruning shears. The fallen heart is... Even if it gets all its wants, all its desires, everything it ever hopes for, and the government or finances will still be in bondage. There is no freedom in individuals if this heart is not free. There is no freedom at all if our heart is not free. And the story doesn't end there. And that sounds like heavy. Like, ah, oh, gosh, what are you talking about? I'm enslaved. That's why the good news is so good news. Because the story doesn't end there. There's an emancipation to the bondage of sin, the effects of death, the effects of separation. The sun sets slaves free. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Bruce Malign puts it this way. This a quote from his book on John. It says, this freedom comes from Jesus personally. If the Son sets you free, it's not a gift. It's not based on pedigree. This freedom cannot be had if you have a religious background, a special race, or a family. It's from or in anything inherently in ourselves. It's given personally by Jesus. He also says that it's eternal, not temporary. Jesus, who gives us this freedom, is the eternal Son who lives forever. Hence, this gift sets us in union with him, the eternal God, forever. And third, is expressed in obedience, not independence. The recipient becomes a loving, obedient child within God's family. I love that take. I love that. Freedom is found in Christ and is offered to those who accept the offer of freedom. If we want to continually live a life enslaved, then we will be shackled by our own desires. We'll spend life bumping around in the dark. And this gift is not given to some religious elite, some wealthy person, someone who's highly educated, No, freedom is for those who trust and abide in the word of God, and it isn't a temporary stimulus bill that is here today, gone tomorrow. It is eternal. And it's given to his children, his children to purchase their freedom. isn't done alone we're together in this right just because i'm up here sharing the word of god doesn't mean that it is just my sole responsibility to do this we're not in this alone we're in this together and as a family we have a responsibility to share this freedoms with other and show the goodness of the light of the world to shine the light of the world into the dark places This freedom isn't to be taken lightly. This freedom isn't a license to continue to sin, but live a life of full service. Because in service, the Savior is made much of. DA Carson says this, true freedom is not a liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. And it is genuine liberty, because doing what we ought now pleases us. I've witnessed this firsthand that when I abide in Christ and his word and I do what he asked me to do, and I see, and what he asked me to do, loving my neighbor, loving my enemy, being generous, I find true freedom and joy in that. To know God and to see him work through my lives and the lives of others, it really is my deepest sense of joy. When I first came to Stowe, I started working here. And I had this one verse stamped on my eyeballs and it was seek first the kingdom of God and all will be added to you. I'd read the Bible in faith and I would look and see. I was trying to seek his kingdom here on earth, trying to be like Christ. And I had hiccups and I failed. Sometimes I succeeded, but I would fail. I would fail to pray for people. I would see them over there and be like, I know I need to pray for them and talk to them, and I would fail, but sometimes I wouldn't. And I would pray, and I would ask God to show up, and he would, and I would see prayers answered. I would see opportunities more and more. I've called these in the past bricks of faith. I talked about it in MC this week, and I've talked about it in the past from behind the pulpit, but when you're obedient to the word of God, you have these little tiny bricks of faith that are like, God showed up. He showed up here in this way. And I can remember that and you journal and you write through and you show and you say like, no, look, God has shown up for me here, this way. I've seen things go completely upside down and I've had to hold on to those bricks of faith. I had to hold on to this word. I've experienced him being faithful. I've seen him throughout the scriptures being faithful. And people in this room might not have anything, or they might have one thing. I've heard it be said that if you want to plant a tree, the best time is 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. If you can think of that time that God has showed up, and you were like, man, I was reading this word, and then I was like, I want to pray for somebody, and then that person comes up, and you get to pray for them, write that down, journal that. These are going to be bricks of faith for your walk, because this is a marathon, not a sprint. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts small and it grows and it grows and it takes time and it takes faith. Don't be discouraged if you don't see fruit today. I want you to know that being here, in this room, right now, this is a brick of faith moment. A year ago, 18 months ago, We didn't have any of this. A year ago, we were meeting in my house in the living room. We sat down and we said, this is how we want to see church. This is what we want to see here. The fact that we have children back there hearing the word of God. They're hearing that Jesus Christ died on the cross, raised from the dead, and they are present here. The fact that we have men and women from such diverse backgrounds in here, together. Prayers are answered today, here. So I'm so thankful, and we can't forget that. Because people will fail you. And guess what? You will even fail yourself. When Jesus says, abide in my word, and you will have truth and freedom, and the Son sets you free, he means that. He says you are free indeed, and that's emphatic, that is definite, that is complete. Freedom, just like it is in this country, is bought with a price, right? Men and women all over the centuries have fought for our freedoms on the front line, and God of the universe has bought our freedom at Calvary sacrificing his life in exchange for ours. This freedom leaves us unshaken. We don't have to worry about every election year if we're going to lose freedom, because our freedom was purchased at Calvary, the blood of Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is where our hope is. This is where our freedom is. This is what lets us unshaken. We've been purchased by the blood of God, the blood of his son. And we can trust in him in abiding in his word. I want to pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the men and women in this room. I pray that you give us wisdom and understanding and generous hearts. I pray that we would hold fast to the fact that we have freedom if we abide in your word. And I pray that we would abide in your word because eternal life is knowing you. It's not in going to church. It's not in in just attending a prayer meeting. It's not in tithing, but it's in knowing you. Once we know you, those other things will flow out. So if there are people that have root problems here, I pray that you would come in and you would solve that root problem because you are the one that offers freedom. I pray that we would know you intimately, we would know you deeply, and we would care about you above all. Bless the men and women in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.